Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my privilege to be here with you this morning. Is this good enough? All right. I'm wearing this uh, on purpose. I'll explain later. But uh, we're excited to be here uh, with you this morning and excited for what, honestly, God is doing at Bridgewater Church and specifically in Bridgewater Tunkanic. We're in exciting times. It is really encouraging and amazing to hear the stories of life change that come not only uh, from you, but through you as well. Uh, God is on the move, and we're excited about eyeing down uh, a new larger facility um, and uh, in the process of uh, collecting some bids on the construction for that and looking forward to how God may help us better reach into this area, surrounding communities, and continue the work of multiplication. So, um, Anyway, we're looking forward to that as well. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your ministry involvement. Thank you for your gifts. Thank you for any part that you play to help move the mission forward of um, making much of Jesus in this community, making more and better disciples of Jesus. Let's have a little bit of fun as we get started this morning. I've got a quiz for you. It doesn't sound fun, but I think it should be. Um, we're talking about be real in this series in James. And so we want to just test your knowledge on some dad texts. All right, these are dad texts. And you're going to determine whether or not these conversations with dad are real or fake. Uh, so the graphics on this, I admit, are a little bit outdated, just like many dads. So uh, with that, let's jump in and, and let's see how we're going to do here. First, number one, uh, um, I'll call you later. Don't call me later. Call me dad. Face palm. Is that real or fake? Real. Let's see. Oh, and you're like, no, I did that one. Um, it's okay. It's okay. If not, if you're a dad or a dad-to-be, take some notes. These are gold. All right? Next, let's try this. Dad, there's a moth on the outside of the bathroom door. Can you get rid of it? Please hurry because I'm going to cry. Dad? Dad? Dad is dead. You're next. Love, moth. <laughs> real or fake? Let's see it. Oh, that's for real. <laughs> I wish I had used that. I love that. I love that. My kids don't love that I love that. But let's, let's keep going. Dad, can I go to Sean's party? Is Sean going to be there? Everyone's going to be there. That can't be right. What do you mean? Everyone can't be there because you're definitely not going. <laughs> Real or fake? Let's see it. It's a fake one. But if you're a dad, use it. <laughs> Whoever this Sean fellow is. All right, let's, let's do another one. In a meeting, in a meeting, in a meeting, in a meeting, over and over again. Dad, are you in a meeting? No, why? <laughs> real or fake? Let's see it. Oh, it's real. It's real. All right, let's do one more, one more. I'm hungry. Hi, hungry. Nice to meet you. I'm dad. And already dads are like, yeah, okay, see where this is going. <laughs> dad, I'm serious. I thought your name was hungry. Are you kidding me? No, I'm dad. <laughs> real or fake? Now you're catching on. Let's see it. Oh, it's real. It's so real. It's too real. Uh, it can be difficult in life to tell what's real, what's fake, who's real and who's fake. Isn't it refreshing when you actually meet someone who's sincere? who actually ends up being who you take them to be, it's rare enough that it's actually refreshing because there are fakes everywhere in life. Counterfeits exist everywhere. But did you know that counterfeits only exist in places where real things are? In order to have a counterfeit, you have to have something that exists that's the real thing to be copied, to be mimicked, to be based off of. 
And this is true all over in life, from, from people to products. In fact, in the area of sports, it's kind of easy to see who's real and who's fake. Uh, you, ever, you ever known a bandwagon fan? Someone who's a fan of a sports team when that team is riding high, but then when they're not doing well, you don't hear anything about them. I hear nothing about that team. You, let's talk football for a minute. You know, you know which teams have the most sincere fans? No bandwagon fans exist for these teams. Bengals, Lions, and Browns. And Browns. Yeah, poor Kurt. Poor Kurt. That guy, he's legit. Um, you know, they've never even appeared in a Super Bowl. And you could talk about how they dominated the 1950s, but nobody does. Um, who would pretend to be a fan of the Browns? <laughs> Let's just talk baseball here for a second. The world of baseball. You know which teams don't have any bandwagon fans? The Rockies. The Padres, though I would admit that's probably going to change here real soon. And, and the Mariners, the Seattle Mariners. The Mariners have never one time appeared in a World Series. They have nothing to talk about. They've had some good players come through, and that's it. They just had a good player on their team. Good for them. But no one aspires to be a fan of these teams, right? You're just kind of born that way. It's just kind of a, a rite of passage, uh, but you can tell who's re real and who's fake in terms of the sports teams by, by who's cheering for them even when they're terrible. I'm a Dodgers fan, through and through. I grew up in Indiana. We have no teams, no baseball teams there. I got to pick my own. And from the time I was real little, I was a Dodgers fan. And yesterday was their very first day of spring training baseball. And you better believe I tuned in to see how that game was going. They lost. It's okay. It's just training. They're just getting warmed up. But there are a lot of fakers in life, and there are a lot of fakers in church. Fakers exist everywhere, as we said, and it's one thing to fake liking a sports team. It's another thing to fake faith, to fake belief in God, to fake a relationship with God. In the realm of faith, there are those who are real, and there are those who are not. And it's really, really sad to think that there could be very well-meaning people, people with good intentions, people who did some admirable things who might stand before God one day and God say, you're fake. Whatever you had wasn't for real. In fact, Jesus addresses this very situation in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Check it out on the screen. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It is really sad to think that there will be people in that very situation standing before God surprised that he does not let them into heaven. They believed in God. They were involved in religious activities. They were around People of faith, they watched, saw, participated in some pretty cool things, but their faith fell short of God's standard. And the people who heard this teaching of Jesus were astounded. And I wonder this morning if there might be some here among us who will be astounded at what God's word has to say. These people thought they had faith. Faith is essential to having a relationship with God. It is an essential element in the life of a follower of Jesus. It's an essential doctrine in the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes that you are saved by grace through faith. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says the followers of Jesus will walk by faith. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
But is it possible to have a kind of faith that God does not accept? Can you be a person of faith, but not the kind that God looks on with approval? The answer is yes. Yes. And so we need to drill down into that subject today to determine who among us is real and who is fake. And I think if maybe this is something you're wrestling with, an issue for you, if you're wondering, how do I, how do I really know? Hopefully today we can help settle matters for you. So here's the progression we've been going through in the last few weeks in this series. Week number one, we talked about pressure revealing the reality of our faith through trials. We talked about the difficulties that we all go through and how when we go through difficulty, the reality of our faith begins to rise to the surface. Week number two, we left trials behind, and and Adam talked to you last week about temptations and how the reality of our uh, faith is revealed through our desires in temptation. And today, what we're talking about is this. Deeds reveal the quality of our faith through action. Deeds, behavior, our actions, what we do. So we'll essentially see there are two kinds of faith, real uh, real faith and fake faith. And James kicks off this section in his letter by asking a question about faith. He's got his own real or fake quiz going on here, and he's not picking a fight with these people. This is like a touchy thing to talk about when you're talking about a very personal or even private matter in your heart, your faith. But James is not picking a fight. He's talking about important things because you talk about important things with people that you love. And so we're talking to you today about this at every Bridgewater location because we love you. And because it's important to talk about things that are important with people that you love. You see, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus to come to Bridgewater. Not at all. But our goal, our aim is that you leave here knowing that you can become a follower of Jesus and knowing how how to begin a life of real faith in Jesus. It's interesting that our kids' ministry is also talking about this today. From the little ones on up to fifth grade, they're talking about faith in action from a, do- a couple different places in the Bible. So really, we're all on board this morning talking about real faith. So if you have a Bible, your device, you can check out the screen. We're going to be in James chapter 2 pretty much all morning, beginning in verse 14. And here's the question that James begins with in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So here's the first truth we've got to grapple with this morning. Faith, uh, fake faith is convenient and affects parts of my life. Specifically, James says, it affects my words. Fake faith affects my words. We know this because he says, what good is it, brothers, if someone claims to have faith? but has no deeds. There, and there are many who would say they believe in God. You probably all know people who believe in God. Some people go a little bit deeper. They even know some of the Bible. Some people even deeper yet, they attend church at least sometimes. At least they have a church that they would call their church. Many people can play the part of a follower of Jesus so well that nobody even bothers to question them. Many That's what Jesus said. I don't know what he meant by many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. But if Jesus calls it many, I assume it's a lot. 
These people are not outside this building. The people James is talking to are inside this building, sitting in these seats, attending these small groups, involved in these ministries. These are the people that James is talking about these issues with. But their claims are empty. There's no true follow-through. It's, it's kind of like having a coupon, excited about the discount you're going to get. You've got, you got a claim code to use online in your online purchase, or you head to the store with a physical coupon, and you're like, yes, I can finally get it. i got a discount, and you walk up, and you check out, or you click checkout, and it says, problem, error, coupon invalid. Not going to work here. This is what James is talking about. It's the emptiness of a claim. It's, it's all the promise, and it doesn't deliver. And he said some people like this within the church have this kind of faith. And has everything right. It just doesn't work. It made a claim it couldn't deliver on. The words by itself in James chapter 2 verse 17 means that true saving faith can never be by itself. It always produces good works. And this is the picture James is painting here, the emptiness of a claim, the hollowness of only words. He paints a scenario, a pretty extreme scenario in, in the language that he was using so that these people would have thought that someone among them literally has no clothes and no food. And he says, here's what fake faith does. Fake faith sees the person in a real state of need, a desperate state, and says, hey, find some warm clothes and, and get some food like they hadn't thought of that already. What do you think they're doing? They're looking for that. Action is the real fruit of living faith. It's dynamic. It's productive. It produces good deeds. No deeds, dead faith. That's what James is saying. And James is not saying these people don't have faith. He's not arguing about whether or not they have faith. They do have faith, but it's fake. James asked the question, can such faith save, which indicates to us that there is a quality of faith that's possible to have that does not make you and me right with God. Faith without actions is as profitable for making you right with God than nice words are for a person who's in real need. It doesn't do anything. When uh, my kids were younger. We got four kids, a son and three daughters. My, my, my son, Cole, is 17. He's a senior in high school, going to graduate. And uh, when he was six or seven years old, my parents were in town. We were living in upstate New York at the time. We had had a little family excursion. And on the way home, we're all packed into our minivan. And uh, we see a car broken down on the side of the road. You know, the hood is up, and there's a man looking over into the into the whatever you call it, undercarriage. I don't know what that's called. I'm not a car guy, okay? Um, <laughs> which is the excuse I used for why I didn't stop to help him. We drove by and I said, oh, poor guy. Hope he's okay. And I hear out of the back seat of the van, this little tiny voice that says, Dad? Like that. <laughs> if we love God... Why aren't we stopping to help that man? And my first thought was, shut up, Cole. <laughs> my second thought was, he's exactly right. What am I doing? Hiding behind, I'm not a car guy. So what do we do? We turn back around. 
And I just revealed to that man that I don't know anything about cars too. Like, hey man, looks like you got a car here. <laughs> it's not working, huh? <laughs> but we stayed with him long enough for him to get a can of gas and fill it up. And I, I don't know how it was fixed. My dad was there too. He knows a thing or two or more about cars. And we got him helped out. And I'll tell you, that left a lasting impression on me. A few weeks ago, we were driving on our way up to Vestal, New York, and there was a car broken down. And I still don't know any more about cars now as I did then, but I stopped. I was like, hey, see, so you got a car. <laughs> I got a phone. Can I use it to help you with your car? And uh, they didn't need any help. They were, they, they, they were fine. We kept going. But this is the truth that James is talking about here. Words, what do they accomplish? When it comes to faith, they fall short. And there are many people who, who are here who would defend their faith, yet fail to demonstrate their faith in their lifestyle. And that's, that's what James is picking at here. That's what he's getting at. Let's keep going. Verse 18. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You see, fake faith not only affects my words, it also affects my emotions. It affects my emotions. Yeah, it, it, it does something to me. It stirs me up a little bit. What James does here is he, he really gets personal. He's writing to what we believe are a bunch of Jewish followers of Jesus now. And he refers to something that they all would have known that we find in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 4. It's called the Shema, to keep, to obey, to hear, to listen, to follow. And, and here's the way it went. And, and every Jew knew it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They would recite this. It was something important to them because it's what set them apart from every other nation. They worshiped one God. One God. They were monotheistic. And that's what set them apart from all the foreign nations. So this saying was very important to them. And James says, you believe there's one God? Good for you. So do the demons. The demons. Satan's minions. Satan's workers. We won't be seeing them in heaven. Yet James says, they have a kind of faith. Oh, they believe what's true. They believe, they believe the Shema. They believe the essential doctrine that there is one God, one true God. They believe it and they shudder. They have an accompanying emotion of fear. Good job. If your faith affects your words and your actions, you and the demons will get along just fine. Again, we talk about important things with people we love. James is getting very, very close and very personal. What does it look like for you and me to get stirred up in our emotions? Maybe, maybe it's being here and, and singing your heart out when we, when we sing praise and worship songs. Maybe you just feel good. You come to Bridgewater Tunkanic and you're like, I just, I feel so charged up. I feel so pumped up. I feel so good. This is great. Maybe you go to your small group and you just love that. Maybe you serve in a ministry. Maybe you're a part of guest services or kids men or some other ministry and you're like, yeah, this is awesome. I love this. This, this just does me good. That's great. That's great. I got to tell you, if your faith stops at words and emotions, you might just have fake faith. And it still doesn't make you right with God. There is a kind of faith that cannot save. And so I can just imagine the readers of this letter from James 
reading this section and the tension is growing in their mind and in their heart as they're thinking, whoa, whoa, I, I thought we were fine. I thought we were good. James begins to alleviate that tension now and show them what real faith looks like. Let's keep reading verse 20, chapter 2. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And here's the second truth he gives them. Real faith is costly and affects all of my life. There's the distinction. It affects all of my life and it's costly. Real faith certainly has to do with your beliefs. You must believe the truth about Jesus and about you. And it must affect your emotions. It certainly will. If it's real, it will affect your emotions. But beyond that, and I know you can see this coming, it will also affect your actions, your behavior. Certain things just go together and cannot be separated. Real faith and actions are two such things. James warns us to beware of a mere intellectual faith or an emotional faith. Someone has said that no one can come to Jesus by faith and remain the same any more than he can come into contact with a 220-volt wire and remain the same. I've not done that. I won't be trying it. I'll just take him at his word. But fake faith is not saving faith. But it does lull people into a false sense of confidence that they are right with God when, in fact, they're not. And if you're tracking with me this morning, you might be thinking, but can't someone with fake faith actually do good things? Can't they... Can't they also have good works? Can't people who are far from God also do good things? The answer is yes, they can. But nothing that God accepts is righteousness. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews eleven six: Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So yeah, you can do good things, but not things that God accepts as righteous. And here's what James does. He gives two examples that his audience would have been very, very familiar with. Abraham and Rahab. Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel, and he was very old, and God came to him and made a promise and said, I'm going to give you a son. You and your barren wife, Sarah, are going to have a son. Not only a son, I'm going to give you descendants far beyond your ability to count them. I'm going to give you a piece of land that, you're, that you're, this nation that's going to come from you is going to live in, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless the world through you. Abraham, in that moment, James says, believed God, and God credited him righteousness in that moment for his belief. Saving faith. And we know that for his faith, he received the righteousness of God. However, some 30 years may have passed between then and when God called upon Abraham to take that son, that precious son, and offer him up as a sacrifice to God. Something strange and seemingly outside the character of God. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11 that Abraham in obedience and in faith offered his son Isaac to God, was going to sacrifice him. And in that moment, God said, call it off. Stop. 
I see your faith. And more importantly, Abraham saw that his faith produced action. The writer of Hebrews also tells us that Abraham so believed in God that he believed that even if he sacrificed his son Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. And so we're not saying that your works save you. What we're saying is your faith saves you and produce good works. And then he used Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute living in the city of Jericho. And God had commanded the Israelites to overtake that city, to throw it down. And Joshua, the leader of the army of Israel, sent in a couple spies, and Rahab welcomed them, said, I believe in your God. I believe that God has given our city into your hands. Now, please spare my life. And they said, hey, tell you what, we can take care of that, but you've got to help us get out of here. And at great risk and at great potential personal cost, she gave lodging to the spies and sent them away in a different direction because she believed in God. Abraham demonstrated his faith when it cost him his only son. Rahab demonstrated her faith when it would have cost her her own life. The point James is making here is clear. True faith always shows up in your life. Beyond words, beyond emotions, it shows up in every area and when it costs, when it counts, when it matters. You choose God's way over your way when your desires are pulling you in a different direction, you say, no, I'm choosing what God wants. If Jesus is your forgiver, the forgiver, forgiver of your sins and leader of your life today, then it must be more than a profession of words or a display of emotion. It must be a life of transformation, a brand new trajectory. And the question is, are you letting him lead? Do you see this at work in your life today? Are you submitted to him? Now, I admit, this seems like a really high bar. Because if you're like me, you'd say, yeah. Sometimes. Most of the time. At times. Yeah, I think so. But you know this? Abraham wasn't perfect. He didn't follow God perfectly, a man of faith. Rahab, not perfect followed God in faith, though not perfectly. The only perfection you need to be concerned with this morning is Jesus' perfection. And let me tell you why. Because Jesus' perfection made him a sufficient savior to save you and me from our sins. Knowing that we could never measure up, Jesus measured up in our place on our behalf and offers that gift to us to make us right with God. Jesus actually said, why don't you give me all your sin? I will give you all my righteousness. And then you can have this faith that does in more and more uh, better and, and greater ways show up in your life. We know this because of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, God made him, Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the perfection we need to be concerned with today. We can bring God our imperfect selves, our imperfect faith and say, I need you to fill the gap. I can't do it. At the end of the day, whether I'm a bandwagon fan is really of no consequence. Big deal. But whether or not I have real faith that's of eternal consequence. The writers of Scripture knew this. James knew it. Paul knew it. That's why Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. He says, examine yourselves 
to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. The call today is to be real. Or to examine yourself to determine whether or not your faith is, in fact, real. And the good news is that if you determine that it's not, Jesus stands ready to give you his righteousness and to accept your sin and to bring you into a real relationship with God. You don't have to be perfect. Jesus was perfect for you, and God views you like he views Jesus, as though you had never sinned because he treated Jesus like you deserve to be treated when he took on your sin and mine. And so, listen, we've, we've provided a tool for you you're going to get on your way out of here today. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. This, this may help you consider areas in your life where your faith may be fake or may be real. We'd like you to read it over. We'd like you to pray over it, and we'd like you to bring it to your small group and talk this week in your small group about the condition, the quality, the reality of your faith. We think it's important. We love you enough to talk about it. And so we encourage you to talk about it with someone who can then point you to Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you this morning admitting humbly that we need your help because life is confusing and, and I don't often help myself. I find it too easy for me to believe things that are not true about me and believe things that are not true about you. And I need you this morning. We need you to help us as we examine our hearts that you would reveal the condition of our faith, whether it is real or fake. And I pray then that when you do, we would have the courage and confidence to do what we need to do next. Talk to somebody. Seek someone out to talk to them, to pray with them. And whether we need to provide help for someone or receive help from, some, from someone else, we pray that you would guide our choices and would you help us to determine whether or not our fake, our faith is fake or real, and then ultimately celebrate because you have provided a means to help us live for your glory and our joy when we follow you in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.